You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A look back at RSA as the big security conference wraps up. Tension between Russia and the West continues to manifest itself in apparent staging attacks and information operations. ISIS, in its diaspora, returns to recruiting and inspiration. A business email compromise campaign afflicts the maritime shipping sector. Atlanta still struggles to recover from SamSam ransomware. And sanctions drive Huawei from the U.S. market. ZTE may soon follow. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Friday, April 20th, 2018. The 2018 RSA Conference wraps up today. We're returning this afternoon to the city by the bay, the Chesapeake Bay, as we head back to Baltimore. But we've got some final notes on the conference before we leave San Francisco. One unpleasant note appeared on the final day. The mobile app offered to attendees has proved to be leaky. RSA tweeted a disclosure early this morning, quote, Our initial investigation shows that 114 first and last names of RSA Conference mobile app users were improperly accessed. No other personal information was accessed, and we have every indication that the incident has been contained. We continue to take the matter seriously and monitor the situation. Russian information operations continue as Western nations brace for a round of hacking expected to emerge from Russian battle space preparation and staging in cyberspace. Russia plans to allege, before the UN, that victims of a sarin nerve agent in Syria were bribed to falsely report the attack. The battle space preparation consists, at least in part, of exploitation of vulnerabilities in the smart install tool found in widely used Cisco routers. The FBI's preliminary assessment of the risk focuses on the likelihood of espionage as the initial stage of any Russian operation, with the possibility of other offensive operations to follow. Cisco's Talos Research Unit estimates that some 168,000 systems could be affected. ISIS and its splinter groups appear to be resuming activities in cyberspace as the terrorist groups enter their diaspora phase. Their activities appear to be renewed marketing, inspiration, and recruitment. SecureWorks has described a Nigerian criminal operation, Gold Galleon, that concentrates on stealing from maritime shipping firms and their customers. Their customary approach is business email compromise, a well-known form of social engineering in which a criminal impersonating an executive sends an email to an employee directing them to transfer funds to the criminal's account. 
The U.S. city of Atlanta continues its slow recovery from a crippling attack that hit municipal systems with Sam Sam ransomware on March 22nd. Direct costs of remediation are said to have amounted to $2.7 million so far. Some observers have pointed out that the ransom is believed to have amounted to only $51,000, but that's still not a good reason to pay the extortionists. There's no particular reason anymore to think the criminals are likely to make good on their promise to restore your files, and there's also the general principle that one should avoid encouraging crooks. Chinese device manufacturer ZTE is being effectively excluded from the U.S. market as the U.S. government imposes penalties for the company's circumvention of sanctions against North Korea, Iran, Sudan, and Cuba. ZTE is protesting, of course, what could amount to a business-killing decision. Sanctions against Huawei have moved the Chinese company toward a complete exit from the U.S. market. The company says it intends to concentrate on European markets. The U.S. beef with Huawei involved American suspicions that their equipment was insecure and that there was too much risk of Huawei devices being exploited by China's intelligence services. It's an anecdotal observation, but at least one of our stringers was struck by how untrafficked and understaffed the large Huawei booth at RSA was this year. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their SASE journey, visit netskope.com. And joining me once again is Dave DeFore. He's the Vice President of Engineering and Cybersecurity at WebRoot. Dave, we are here at an undisclosed location at RSA. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. And it is undisclosed. And it was kind of sketchy getting here, but, but we made it. 
We did. We did. We made it safe and sound. So, so let's, let's decompress a little bit. Today, it is Thursday as we record this, the last day of RSA. Looking back, uh, a good show for you. What was your uh, takeaway from this year's show? Well, um, one, of, one of my first takeaways was, uh, you know, the matching uh, outfits that marketing made us wear were a hit. Very popular with the green shoes we have. So, so thumbs up to that. Very important. Um, but uh, from a pure cybersecurity play, I, honestly, I think it was a little toned down this year compared to other years. I don't know that anyone really landed on a specific topic um, to talk about. Um, we saw a lot of interest in threat intelligence once again. Um, I think over the last four or five years, there were a lot of people that ramped up, realized it was hard, and kind of backed away. So we had a lot of discussion there. Um, my old you know, drum that I beat about AI not being ML, I had some really good discussions with folks there. Um, and, and a lot of discussions about, you know, I think people are getting machine learning uh, and understanding it's harder than you think. And that, um, you know, you really got to commit to it. And people are understanding as it matures what questions to ask. So I think, the, I think the consumer is getting smarter about security and machine learning as well. Hey, do you think we're seeing a, an overall sort of maturation of the industry? As uh, I agree with you that it felt like things were a little more settled this year. Yeah, that, and, and, and I wonder, are we peaking? Are we going to see some shift? Because maybe this is getting a little bit tired. There's a lot of fatigue, I think. You know, everybody's always like, we can't find people to watch our sock. We can't find good security professionals. So one thing on that point, David, I would say, I, I believe people are wanting us to start as, as, as an industry, um, for lack of a better description, Applefy some of these uh, solutions. Because they're so technical, and so many of us engineers build them that you know regular folks either don't care enough or can't possibly use them. And as an industry, we need to start driving towards that, or we're going to lose people. So you think it could be a differentiator for folks to to really pay attention to that uh, interface design. That's exactly right. And is it and, and understand your customer because you can't be all things to all people. If you're trying to do uh, protect people from pointed attacks, maybe. Uh, um, a country, nation, state, or, or somebody really trying to penetrate you, and you have a solution for that, don't try to sell it down market to somebody who just wants to protect their office computers and, and then send out invoices at the end of the month to make some money and run their business. You've really got to understand your, your customer, I think. When you look at the show overall and, and you see people walking around, when, when they go home, is there anything particular that you hope they take away from this year's show? Any, any words of wisdom? Yeah, actually, so I, I guess I would point back to people are getting smarter about, you know, the, the tech speak and stuff like that. And hopefully they're walking away uh, with more um, intelligent questions to ask of vendors or products that maybe they have. Um, and, and they're able to pay attention and cut through the noise and really get to what's important rather than being excited about some shiny new object. All right. David DeFore, as always, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, David. It's great seeing you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And joining me now is John Petrick, our CyberWire editor. Uh, John, uh, welcome back. As we uh, look back at this week uh, here at RSA, uh, what are your thoughts? What's your overall take on the show? It was an interesting show, as it always is. I was struck this year by a, a somewhat more relaxed tone to the show than what I saw last year. Last year, I remember being struck by the number of people who were shoving and throwing elbows and thinking that there was a almost palpable tension on the floor. I didn't see that this year. It, uh, there seemed to be a more a, a calmer, a, a less concerned atmosphere. As far as the conduct of the show itself, there were a lot more barkers. That the exhibit hall sounded a lot more like a carnival midway than I've heard them in the past. The uh, giveaways have changed. That socks are now a thing. If you need socks, the exhibitors are prepared to give them to you. So those are some of the things we saw on the floor. In uh, some of the presentations, I think the most interesting big presentations were the presentation by Secretary Nielsen of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. And it's clear that it's the senior administration official speaking at the world's major security conference she was the one who's delivering the message that the U.S. has offensive cyber capabilities and is prepared to retaliate against the nation-state cyber attack. Now, obviously, DHS is not going to be the agency that's going to do the counterattacking, but that was a clear, uh, a clear uh, marker being laid down for a new deterrence regime. And in terms of um, messages from from vendors, uh, evolution of tools, that sort of thing, was was this an evolutionary year? I don't really think I saw anything revolutionary out there. No, nor did I. I did see some uh, interesting signs of people being concerned about directly addressing some of the threats that the sector has faced over the past year. There was uh, considerable attention to uh, distributed denial of service attacks, for example, and how you manage those. That was new. There was the familiar emphasis on the importance of basic hygiene, that the zero days may get the uh, the press and all of the scare stuff, but the actual attacks are typically carried out using known vulnerabilities against unpatched systems. They're being carried out through social engineering. They're being carried out using very well-understood ways that organizations can prepare themselves to parry. So there was a lot of talk of that. There was uh, an interesting emphasis on uh, the part of some of the vendors on a specific kind of training, specifically wargaming and exercises of that kind. I had a chance to talk with um, Chad Gray of Booz Allen Hamilton about that. That is now a major part of what they offer their clients. And it's uh, used as both a planning tool and a preparation tool. Also, interestingly enough, they see it used as a training tool and even a, uh, a tool for vetting prospective employees. So that was an interesting development. There was uh, a lot of attention given to the the private sector Cyber Geneva Convention, where some 34 tech companies, led for the most part by Microsoft, and Microsoft has been banging the drums for a long time for some sort of international norms to govern conduct in cyberspace. So anyway, you've got 34 companies that have signed on to agree that they will not conduct offensive cyber operations on behalf of any nation state. If you look at the list of the companies that signed on for that, I don't think any of them would have been in that business anyway. I didn't see any people who were developing attack tools or who were uh, were uh, likely to be major contractors for any government that was interested in conducting offensive operations. So you might want to take that, that avowal with a grain of salt. Uh, Facebook was one of the signatories, and uh, there's, a, there's perhaps a degree of irony there since uh, Facebook's data collection has been has been controversial to say the least over the past year. 
if they're serious about supporting the development of international norms, I think that it's a good idea for companies to take their metaphors seriously. If you say you want a Geneva Convention for cyberspace, think about what the actual Geneva Convention does. The Geneva Conventions do a number of things, but uh, if your understanding of them, heck, anyone who's watched reruns of Hogan's Heroes has some rough appreciation of of the Geneva Conventions. Uh, the Great Escape was on cable here in the hotel over the last uh, uh, two nights, so you had a chance to refresh yourself there. But one of the major things the Geneva Conventions have done is they establish certain norms for the protection of non-combatants, of people who are protected categories. Prisoners of war, for example, that's the that's the Hogan's Heroes angle, but also civilians, uh, different kinds of non-combatants. These people have a kind of status, and there there are rules of war designed to protect them. There are rules of war designed to protect certain kinds of infrastructure uh, to, for example, discourage attacks against medical facilities, that kind of thing. And it would be worthwhile thinking through what you think the conventions would look like in cyberspace, what they should look like, how you'd like to see them evolve. It's clear, and we heard this at a an after party for Accorded Future, an interesting session they held in which they had some experts talking about cyber warfare, cyber conflict. And the point they made, and I think they're correct in this, is that cyber conflict or cyber warfare isn't going to be conducted in a vacuum. It's not going to be a purely cyber conflict, that cyber tools are going to be used in fighting larger conflicts, just the way it is not usual to see a purely maritime war or a purely land war or a purely air war. You don't see those. What you uh, do see is you see these different domains being operated in by combatants, by contesting powers, and cyber is one of those. That um, One of the speakers at that event was talking about one of the more significant acts of cyber war that he had seen in the fight against ISIS was basically the use of intelligence collected through cyber means for targeting ISIS cyber operators. And so that wasn't a case of hacking back. That was a case of finding them, identifying them, and then attacking them with a a drone-launched Hellfire missile. So I think that those kinds of things are worth, uh, worth some thought as people think about the extension of the rules of armed conflict to cyberspace. John Petrick, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler. 
the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 